Hey, welcome back to this season of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, where we bring you the audio files from the DocSF Experience 2022. I'm Dr. Stefano Bini, your host for this podcast and the founder and chair of DocSF, the Digital Orthopedics Conference in San Francisco. So in this podcast, we're going to hear from Tate Gilchrist. He'll be the first of two lectures on interoperability and data that we had at DocSF. It is a very important and very topical conversation at this time. So Tate is in charge of Provider Partnerships at DataVent, which is a company that's looking specifically at this issue of connecting the largest ecosystems of health data in the United States. Let's join Tate on the DocSF stage in San Francisco. We'll be addressing data, robotics, gamification. Now, I we're putting this together. Clearly, data and data interoperability is a huge question mark and how we're going to handle it. And I thought we had, we had to tackle it head on. And I had the opportunity to meet with Tate Gilchrist, who's going to be speaking to us in just a second. There's tremendous experience in this space. He's currently um, lead of provider partnerships at DataVant. Uh, previously, he spent eight years as Cerner, which actually is really cool because he understands our world. But not only that, he understands our orthopedic world even better. I think you started your life as a orthopedic rep for Johnson & Johnson in Asheville, right? So couldn't have been a better person to get us off going on the question of, data interoperability and its impact on orthopedics and where we're going in the next 15 years. Hey. So it looks like I have the coveted post-lunch slot and not only <laughs> post-lunch, but post-dessert. So if you <laughs> fall asleep, I'm going to blame the sugar. <laughs> so thank you so much for having me. I'm going to spend a few minutes uh, speaking to the future and so far as data exchange. And we'll start off with just a few disclosures. Uh, as Stefano mentioned, I do work for Datavant, Ciox. Let's kind of delve right in here a little bit. So, so this is a slide, and I feel sorry for the individual that, that had to do the cutting and pasting for this slide. I'm sure they had some carpal tunnel at the end of the day. But this is just kind of a representative slice of current state, who is out there exchanging data and in what manner now. So this slide has big companies like Epic, Cerner, Meditech. It has small little companies. These companies are dealing with identified data. They're dealing with de-identified data. They're dealing with all different data types, everything from imaging, SDOH data, genomics, clinical data, structured, unstructured. And this list really grows exponentially you know, by the day. So it's a really interesting space. There's some estimates out there right now that um, there is 2 trillion gigabytes of healthcare data and growing exponentially. So it's a large problem to say the least. There are a lot of interesting companies and entities on this slide that have various levels of maturity and complexity in how they manage data. There are companies on this slide that are primarily concerned with the HIM departments of hospitals with manual processes, abstractors, chasing charts, pulling data, abstracting data, faxing it on. I think there's this, the, the stat is something like 90% of hospitals in the United States still use a fax machine as their primary means of data transfer. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have companies that are using things like privacy-preserving record linkage and natural language processing to do some really interesting things. So the point is, is that there is a large variety currently and a large delta in between the ways in which uh, companies are managing and holding data. And as we look forward into the future, the ideal state is for that gap certainly to substantially narrow and to take us off in a new direction. The last thing I'll say here is that there's one common thread between all these entities on this slide, and that's the patient. 
The patient is the only thing that all of these entities have in common. So it's my view that the patient will be the center of interoperability in 15 years time. And we'll go into that and talk a little bit about it. So this slide kind of gives a overview of the timeline as we, as we look forward 15 years. I think it's, it's probably important to, if we're gonna track out where we're going or where we might go, it's important to kind of take a look back and see where we've been and how we've gotten to this point. So if you look back to the 2000s, and as Stefano mentioned, you know, I had the, the opportunity of participating in the, the EMR wars, if you could call them that. So it was hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat in many ways, shapes, or form. And you would assume that you know, when you're going to digitize historically paper records, you want to design things with the future in mind. And I think that there was a, uh, certainly a desire to do that. I think that there was a, uh, not a very good attempt at uh, success in that regard. It was very competitive. So the digitization of the record insofar as the EMRs and the, all the incentives that were poured out from the federal government to put EMRs in, in many ways created a foundation that was very siloed. A lot of walled gardens, you know, a lot of walls and lack of interest in sharing records, et cetera. So kind of moving on up the, up the food chain here. So there was a period of time underneath this broad umbrella called population health, where there was a huge effort in centralizing and aggregating data. This was primarily around at-risk contracts with attributed physicians, with Medicare plans and private plans, where you had entities that were culling data from multiple sources. They were combining it, aggregating it, normalizing it, applying common ontologies to it, and creating a longitudinal record to be able to be able to drive at-risk contracts with payers. So that continues to this day, but it was a huge effort back in, the, in, back in the, uh, 2010s. And I got to participate in that a little bit as well, which is very interesting. So where we're at now is we're in a situation where there's a tremendous amount of legislation that's coming to fruition. Much of that legislation is around the involvement of the consumer or the patient. So we're gonna talk about that on the next slide a little bit, but there's a huge push with some very definitive timelines with some quite frankly, large sticks that would uh, result from lack of compliance with these, uh, with these regulations that really puts the patient at the center of things and really puts some walls up insofar as what companies that hold and manage data can do, can't do, how they expose data, in what manner, and under what penalties. So if we look forward a little bit, going on up to 2035, I believe that over the next few years, what we're going to see is we're going to see huge efforts around patient consent and what that means insofar as being able to grant consent for companies to do something with your data and to audit the companies that are doing something with your data as an individual. I think that probably everybody in this room would agree that insofar as a patient being involved, actively involved in their health, there's a big variation there. There's some people, some patients that really want to get involved. They want to get their data. They want to do things with it. They're pulling it down onto their, you know, onto their phone. They're running with apps. They're using it to track things. They're using it to communicate between their providers, their family, et cetera. And then there's a large proportion of patients that really just, for whatever reason, do not want to get involved. They don't care. You know, the obesity rate in this country has gone up every year. So it's really rare that there is at scale type of patient involvement from the standpoint of them being really into directing their care, doing things themselves. But what I think that will happen is, is that 
as you look on forward into 2035 and this notion of a mediated exchange, that patients will not so much be involved insofar as being actively involved on their phones, on their computers or whatever, but they will be actively involved in consenting to and allowing others to do things with their data for their good. So this kind of drives into the last slide here that I have. Just think of three factors, basically, that are going to kind of drive the patient being at the center of all things in 2035. Really kind of break it down with three buckets, if you will. There's a regulatory bucket, there's a technology and architecture bucket, and then there's some economic models that drive things a little bit. So looking at this first one, this regulatory bucket, this is a huge base of activity for the past two, three years and currently. 21st Century Cures Act, which you're probably most of the folks in this room have heard about that, really laid out a framework that makes it very difficult for information blocking to take place. There's large penalties associated with information blocking. It requires a lot of companies to open up their data stores so the patients can have access to them. And this is really becoming, uh, this coming fall in October, there's some interesting, uh, interesting regulation around all EHI. So in October of this year, all EHI, this includes imaging data, clinical data, whatever data is associated with the patient needs to be made available in electronic format. This is gonna have a pretty significant impact on all the hospitals, the health systems, the providers that are holding patient data. So I frankly think that uh, there's a substantial portion of providers that are not prepared for this. I think that some are, but there's going to be a, a really interesting situation this fall insofar as you know, what people are gonna see that, oh, I didn't know that you know, I was supposed to do this or we're not prepared for this. And as I mentioned before, under 21st Century Cures, there's some fairly substantial penalties that are associated with this. There's some legislation out there now that's kind of going through called TEFCA. It's a trusted exchange framework and the common agreement. And so this is a framework um, by which that the government has said that, you know, we need to basically facilitate a common agreement in between health networks that allows a regulation layer to make sure that everybody is on the same sheet of music insofar as how patients can access what they can, you know, what they're permitted to get what other entities are permitted to get. And again, it really puts the patient at the center of things. By and large, uh, HIPAA is the one governing piece of regulation that kind of sits over top of all healthcare data, but there's also an interesting angle with the FTC. So under uh, 21st Century Cures and the notion of a patient granting consent to, for a third party to be able to pull their data, when a patient does that, it takes them out of the umbrella of HIPAA and puts them under the umbrella of the FTC. So the FTC is, is not really an organization that's set up to be able to regulate this type of activity. So it perhaps creates a little bit of, uh, of risk, should we say, insofar as you know, having regulation that's got some teeth to it, protecting patient privacy, et cetera. So I anticipate over time that the FTC is going to really take a lot more uh, substantial role in, in this space and in regulating this space. There's also some interesting public-private partnerships. And you know, the main one, I think, was the Argonaut Project, which is a project between the ONC, uh, Office of National Coordinator, as well as a lot of the large EMR companies, uh, Cerner's, the Epics, the Athena's, et cetera. And so this is the organization that really brought the, the, the fire standard to the market, if you will. 
There's also uh, some other public-private partnerships associated with uh, the Karen Alliance, which is a uh, public-private partnership uh, based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. They're doing some interesting things related to the patient's ability to use a universal authentication process to be able to access their data. Currently, if I'm a patient and I want to access my data in an EMR, whether it's Cerner, Epic, et cetera, I used to have to use authentication credentials associated with that particular EMR company, which is very confusing for a patient. The patient just wants to use a single authentication pathway. So organizations like the Karen Alliance are um, facilitating a framework to allow the patient to do that universally across EMRs. So the point is that there's a large regulatory body that's geared toward the patient and empowering the patient to not only get involved, but to grant others the consent to get involved on their behalf. The second piece is really the technology and architecture piece. And, you know, there's a huge variance here. So at the top of the list up there, you've got a lot of entities that are still using manual abstractors, individuals, elbows and toes in the HIM departments, in the hospitals all across the U.S. There are thousands of them across the U.S. right now. I think it's something like 90% of, uh, of hospitals are using the fax as still the primary means of, of interoperability and moving records. So all that needs to be digitized, right? That's a hard process, but it's a process that's underway. I think that, you know, it's moving in the right direction. Secondly, the source data system. So mainly the, the EMR companies. From a technology and architecture standpoint, you know, you would think that there's a, there's a common phrase that, you know, technology is not the problem in interoperability or data exchange. It's a people problem. And that's true to some degree. But I will say as an individual that's kind of been on the inside, the ability for an EMR company to just expose an API or a particular, you know, data element, it's not as easy as it sounds. The size of some of these entities, the complexity internally from an operational standpoint, from a, uh, just a people standpoint, you may have four different layers in an EMR managed by four different teams that all have to be on the same sheet of music to be able to expose a single API element out externally. And I'll be frank in saying that to get that done in a large organization is really an act of God. So while Technology is not the issue. The individuals and the governance around managing that technology can be an issue. You've got a lot of the aggregators out there. There's a huge push around, uh, there's a huge push in the 2010s around, as I mentioned, around consolidating data, centralizing data in one spot. That continues to this day. There is an organization uh, started by Providence out of Seattle called Truveta. Um, I think they have somewhere upwards of, you know, 16%, almost 20% of the healthcare data in the US consolidated. They're consolidating in one spot to be able to do some interesting things around research. There's another one called uh, Graphite Health. It's Intermountain and Kaiser and a few others. They're doing the same type of thing. So there's still a tremendous amount of data aggregation, data centralization going on in the market. The other side of that coin is that there is a substantial number of federated networks. So you have your commonwealths, you have your care qualities, you have your e-health exchanges. These are all networks that are facilitating, you know, different types of connections in a federated model to where a provider can query over this federated model, find a patient via record locator service and pull it back. And they continue to grow by the day as well. 
Fire APIs was, this was my world for about three years. It was a very, uh, very interesting place. The 21st Century Cures and the ONC really pushed out the Fire APIs, a standardized API to allow an application to be able to connect to Cerner and Epic and Athena and others just as easily across the board. Um, one of the things that, that I really appreciated about that space is that in contrast to the first kind of EMR wars, the notion of Fire APIs and standardized access to data really brought these companies together. And so for the first time, I could remember being on stage with Epic and some others and being able to talk about our technology, being able to talk about our business models, whereas before it was everything was kind of done in secret, you know, it was very competitive, et cetera. So the Fire APIs really brought on a era of cooperation, I will say. QHENs and RCEs. QHEN is a Qualified Health Information Network. This is a structure that is governed in many ways by the TEFCA framework. So QHENs are essentially a network of networks with a layer of governance over top of it from the regional coordinating entity, which in the United States right now is uh, the Sequoia Group out of uh, Arizona, I believe. And lastly, the notion of privacy preserving record linkage and tokenized networks. So this is a this is a very interesting space. This is a distributed network, de-identified, that facilitates tokenized data exchange across a wide variety of different stakeholders. So those networks are growing by the day and facilitate a lot of the exchange you see out there now. From an economic model standpoint, you know, there's, there's a few right now. So obviously the requester monetization pass. So if I'm a I am a payer and I need to get, you know, patient data for the purposes of risk adjustment or things of that nature. Typically, you know, I'm having to pay for that access. You have open patient access. So again, under 21st Century Cures, I as a patient have the ability to use an app of my choosing and connect up to my data wherever it sits in, in whatever EMR. So there's some open access there. There's some metered exchange types of models, which are inherently consumption-based models that are out there. And then finally, there's this last bullet that uh, I think is really key for this 2035 look, and that's the notion of patient incentivization. There's already probably a little bit of that out there right now from the standpoint of if I'm a patient and I work for an employer that is, uh, has a, that is self-insured, if I give, if my employer gives me a Fitbit or some other type of device where I can collect my steps or, you know, some other types of biometrics, and then we'll reduce my premium based on the fact that, you know, maybe I walk 20,000 steps a day or 15,000 steps a day. So there's some incentivization there as well. There's some interesting companies out there right now that are exploring ways to essentially incentivize the patient by allowing them access to some sort of data brokerage type of network. These are very immature companies at this point in time, but I think that as we look forward, if the patient is to be at the middle and if the patient is to be in control of where their data is at, where it's going, who is using it, and for what purpose, we have to have an architecture that facilitates that, which I do believe is being formulated currently. It's a, a monumental task. We have to have a regulatory framework that ensures that it takes place, which I believe the pieces are in place for that. But importantly, we have to have some sort of incentivization for that patient to participate, or at least to grant others the authority to participate on their behalf. And while we're not there yet, there's signs that we're moving in that direction and that there will be something in place there to be able to facilitate that. Thank you.
That's phenomenal. Thank you. Yes. So I'm going to ask you one quick question. Yes. First of all, I think you gave us an insight into just how big this issue of data exchange, data interoperability is. You talked a little bit, you touched a little bit about data exchanges, data federation. Going literally 2037 again, this idea of moving forward, are we still going to be talking about data interoperability? Is it going to be something we solved in the 2020s to the point where it's either in the blockchain or somehow not managed or, it's just, or all, all data is transacted as a synthetic data set, which does not have to stand behind each some kind of background. Where's where's it going to go? Just for the record, you use the B word, not me. Okay. okay yeah, yeah, we'll talk about tomorrow um, too. <laughs> so, um, so I think that you know, if you look at again where we were and where we're at now inside a 10, 12 year span, in many ways we've made tremendous progress. And there's some there's some individuals and entities that are doing some very progressive, phenomenal things around you know NLP and unstructured notes and all this stuff. On the flip side of the coin, there's still a great deal of data exchange that is just manual grunt work. So I think the answer potentially is yes and no, that we will have a appreciable mass of progressive and on-the-ball technology to do some seamless type of work. But there will still always be a body of work where you know we're going to need to make tremendous improvements because people are slow to change. It's expensive to change um, from a health system standpoint, you know, the bandwidth to get all this in place and implement it, et cetera, is quite, you know, it's, it's onerous. Um, so I think the answer is, is yes. Um, you mentioned blockchain. I, I will make the comment that- The um, B word. Yeah, the B word. Yeah, I love it. But I think that in many ways, it's an unknown, right? I think that blockchain is, in my view- really ideally suited, suited to facilitate some level of consent, some level of audit, and then some level of directory. So I, as a patient, can use the blockchain to determine you know, who I want to give my consent to, to audit where my data is at, where it's going, and then to use it as a directory of individuals or entities that, that I can then engage. I'm unsure about actual data being on the blockchain, but I think those three things from a distributed ledger standpoint are offer some promise. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Right, Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this presentation and will consider joining us live in San Francisco for DocSF 2023, when we will explore how digital technologies will enhance, support, and enable the expansion of the outpatient surgery arena. Register now to join our mailing list at docsf.health, docsf.health, and be the first to access our limited tickets. DocSF, join the revolution.